And we have a new memory verse for the month of June. It is June uh, already. Here we are. And this is from the book that we're studying, Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. Probably the most well-known of verses in the book of Habakkuk. We can say it together this morning. Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. Habakkuk 2, 4. Well, this has been an interesting study. We are in week three of what is going to be a six-week series through the prophecy or the book of Habakkuk. Habakkuk's one of the minor prophets, and uh, he has much to say to the Lord. And I've been encouraged in our study. And one of the reasons that I've been encouraged is because uh, when you look at the prophets and you look at the way that they dialogue with God, it's encouraging for us to know that we serve a God who is available to us, who is ready and who is able and who desires to listen. Habakkuk is coming and he has a myriad of concerns for God. And when he brings them, at first they're concerns about his own people. God's message in response is not the most exciting or most comforting thing for Habakkuk. He speaks about, he speaks very candidly and honestly about how he's raising up this other nation or empowering this other group of people, the Babylonians, to come and to kind of judge the nation, the southern kingdom of Judah. Well, Habakkuk is, as any of us would have been, a little distraught over the reception of that message. And so he brings further concern and further plea before the Lord, again saying, Lord, I don't understand. Explain this to me. And God, once again, is gracious enough to respond. And I'm encouraged because we, we see all around us that we live in a world today that's faced with turmoil, distress, difficulty. Some days we are feeling anxious. Some days we're feeling scared. Some days we're feeling hopeless, powerless, discouraged, overwhelmed. Guess what? Habakkuk's prophecy tells us that our God is a big God who is able to handle all of our questions, all of the feelings, all of the emotions that we're experiencing on a day-to-day basis in this world that he has planted us in. And we said the theme uh, for this book, for the church, is that the world is broken. As we look around, we can see that clearly. The law is unable to fix it, whether here in America or any other country. I think all of us would agree that the law by itself is inefficient and insufficient to fix the problems that exist in the modern world. But God is able. God hears us. He saves us. And He will restore all things. We are to be faithful as we patiently yet actively wait. So if you remember last week, we were kind of left with a cliffhanger. Habakkuk had brought further concern before the Lord. And this week we jump into the Lord's response to Habakkuk's further concern. And really there's a few questions here for us this morning to explore together. What is an appropriate response when difficulty and distress define our days? We see it all around us. What's our response? How might we live faithfully 
even when evil persists. And finally, what are the contrasts between those who live by their own strength and those who live by faith? Today we're in the book of Habakkuk. You want to turn to chapter 2, just a few verses today. Uh, Verses 2 to 5 is what we'll be reading and looking at together. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. Before we begin, let's pray. Father, we thank you for a beautiful day, for sunshine. Lord, we thank you for a book tucked away in the Old Testament that shows us uh, a prophet who's coming to you in distress and turmoil, who you are responding to. And Lord, we're thankful that you're gracious enough to be honest to give the difficult answers, but to also give the hope filled answers. Lord, we thank you that you have spoken today through your son Jesus, through your word. We're thankful that your word is alive and active and that the presence of your Holy Spirit indwells all who know you to be their Lord and Savior. And that presence is alive and active in our midst today. We give you the glory for that. And Lord, as we turn to your word, We hold on to the promise that it will not return void, that it goes forth today to accomplish the exact purposes that you have for everyone who hears it, whether today, tomorrow, the next day, whether physically present here or with us online, your word is alive, it's powerful, and it transcends every perceivable obstacle we could imagine. We thank you for that power today. We pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but that you would motivate faith, hope, and love within us so that we could also be doers of the word. And we want you to be glorified and honored by the way that you work in and through our lives. Thank you for this time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Habakkuk chapter 2, verses 2 to 5. This is the Lord responding To the prophet. And the Lord answered me, Write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time, it hastens to the end, it will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it, it will surely come, it will not delay. Behold, His soul was puffed up. It's not right within him. But the righteous shall live by his faith. Moreover, wine is a traitor, an arrogant man who is never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale. Like death, he has never enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all peoples. So the first time that the prophet had brought his questions and complaints to the Lord, the Lord's response was less than comforting. God was raising up the Babylonians to bring judgment upon his own people. It is a message that fell flat on a prophet who anticipated a far different response. And in his second response here, God is going to give even greater assurance and clarity to the prophet. 
If you remember last week, Habakkuk has climbed up the watchtower, taking his post on the ramparts to see what the Lord would say. And as he set his mind and heart on seeing things from the Lord's perspective, God would be faithful to give the prophet a vision. God's words in verse 2, they're meant to move our minds back to another time in the nation's history, in Israel's history, early when God spoke and a prophet wrote down what he said on tablets. Where does your mind go? Write this vision, make it plain on tablets, and with this phrase, our imaginations are thrust backwards to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Hebrew phrase that is used here, our English translates, make it plain, it's only used in two other places in the Old Testament, and both occurrences are in the book of Deuteronomy. The first is in Chapter 1-5, where Moses takes to the task of explaining the law plainly to the people. The second is found in Deuteronomy chapter 27, verse 8, where it says, And you shall write on the stones all the words of this law, what? Very plainly. And this Israel in the wilderness, it was another time in the nation's history where there was great anxiety and uncertainty. Though they had been set free from the Egyptian oppressors, the Hebrew people were still insecure, feeling alone, lost, wandering in the wilderness, unsure of what their future held. Who would protect them from the surrounding nations? And how would they be provided for? There was great fear, distress, and uncertainty among the people. And as God was bringing the people together as one nation, he spoke into the situation. And when he did, he delivered a message, one that was plain and clear. It was to be written down so that it could be consistently received by the people throughout their history. Moses was to write the message plainly on the stone tablets as God delivered it to him. It was to become as an identity marker to the people. Yahweh, the covenant-keeping God, took on the Pharaoh of Egypt and freed his people, calling them unto himself, giving them a law to help form them as a people, teaching them how to worship him and how to love one another, and leading them to the promised land. And now here we are again in Habakkuk, and the prophet is standing at another pivotal time in the nation's history, and God will once again give a message that is to be plainly written on tablets so that it might be consistently received and applied by the people. It tells us at the end of verse 2 that the contents of the vision that were given were to be so plain and so clear that they could even be read and processed while one might be on the run. We're thinking from the evading Babylonians. At the end of verse 2 it says that he may run who reads it. A simple message can be hopeful when the circumstances of our lives seem so utterly confusing. 
Friends, this is still true today. It's still true. As a community of faith, as followers of Jesus, we still have a message that is simple, yet incredibly life-giving to deliver to those who find themselves surrounded with distress and turmoil. We have a powerful gospel, good news that's ready and available for both the believing and for the not yet believing. It's an effective message for all of us. It's a message that is all at once both personal and communal. It's meant to be received both in community and individually. We too can receive the message on the run. And it's comforting to remind and rehearse the simple message that Jesus saves. It's a simple message, but profound. Amen? Jesus saves. That in Christ, there's abundant life and there's hope for a glorious, eternal future. That because of Jesus, we who sit here today, we who live in community out in the world, those who watch online, we can know that we are loved and that we truly belong, that we've been adopted as children into the family of God. We can remind ourselves of the powerful truth that our God reigns, our God hears from, from the deepest of valleys that we find ourselves in and, and the most hopeless of places to the highest of mountains and the moments of our greatest victory and rejoicing. Our God hears. He's a God who's with us. Our God's a God for all people in all places at all times. His grace overflows. His mercies never fail. He gives joy to the joyless, hope to the hopeless, abundance to the empty, family to the fatherless, and healing to the brokenhearted. He's a God for the weak and the wounded, a God for the mighty and the strong. This is our God. And in His Word and through His Son Jesus, He has given us a vision that can be life-giving for anyone who is alive today. Regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the difficult situations we find ourselves in. And isn't this hopeful? This is the message that we've been given to proclaim, that we've been given to speak, that, that's been shared with us so that we can shine as salt and light in this world that God has planted us in for such a time as this. That was Habakkuk's time. Today is our time. And it's filled with purpose. God's filled every day of our lives with purpose. And yet, we know these truths to be so, but we do not yet fully realize them as they are to be. For the church, Jesus has not yet returned. So we're waiting patiently, yet actively. The prophet had to wait he had to wait while his people, potentially even himself, were going to be led away into captivity by another nation. And that captivity 
would endure for at least 70 years before the people would have freedom. 70 years. That's a long time, friends. And though the waiting is often hard, distressing, dark, difficult, we see throughout history that our God does not slumber, nor does He aimlessly tarry. The vision, the message, the word that He gives is active. It's living. It's timely. It's working. It's perfect. It does exactly what God's purpose and design is for it to do. It never returns void. Look at verse 3. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait patiently for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. Now, as we read this verse, as we read verse 3 of chapter 2, consider and reflect back on the first chapter of Habakkuk. It's all in context. And we might recall that there was in chapter 1 an ineffective law, one that was described as paralyzed. Remember, we gave the illustration of sitting up on the metal chairs in Lefevre Hall and our legs getting numb as many of ours do, and, and it, the falling asleep and getting up and stumbling, that was how the law was described in chapter 1. It wasn't working. It was abused by the leaders of the people. It was not effectively being used to bring about the flourishing of all peoples in the nation. Verse 3 of chapter 2 is going to directly contrast the vision that God is giving Habakkuk to the paralyzed law of chapter 1, Verse 4, unlike the paralyzed law, the vision was patient, yet active. It is described as awaiting its appointed time. And in verses 6 to 20, we'll get to those verses next week, not this week. We'll explore those together. We're going to see the appointed time that is coming for the nation of Babylon. And there's another play on words happening here in this verse. One that is contrasting God's vision to the power of the Babylonians. In chapter 1, the Babylonians are described in verse 11 as wind. Remember we read in verse 11, they sweep through as wind. And the Hebrew word that is used there is ruach. Everybody say ruach. Ruach. If you've got a cloak cover, do this because you don't want to... In the Hebrew language, it's guttural, so you bring up, and that's not good in today's world. We don't want to bring anything up we shouldn't be. Here in chapter 2 of Habakkuk, God's vision in verse 3 is described as breath or puach. See the difference? So chapter 1, we have ruach. Chapter 2, we have to coming to meet it is God's puach. It's a play on words that the English doesn't pick up. The Babylonians are sweeping through like the wind, but ultimately they'll be held guilty as ones who relied on their strength as their own God. Whereas the vision that God was giving to Habakkuk was part of God's eternal decree. Its end was true. There was no guilt. It would not lie. This... And yet God is also quick to remind the prophet and the readers or hearers of the prophet's message 
that the active nature of his vision may appear slow or long for those who hear, see, and receive it. Both the prophet and the people were to wait patiently as it worked itself out. Friends, do you feel like you're waiting today? Right? I mean, I can't tell you how many of you in the past six months have said, when is the Lord coming back? (laughs) Some of you have told me you're just praying it every day. Lord, please come back. Please return. And yet, we wait. We wait. And it is hard. And the days feel long. But we wait. God's timing is always perfect, is always true. He's never late. And how will the life of the one who sees, believes, and applies the vision as it has been given look differently from the one who relies on their own strength or efforts? What is the posture of the unbelieving Babylonian as contrasted to the posture of the believing who are desiring to live rightly? It's comforting for us to read that God actually names and recognizes the sin and the injustice of the Babylonians. Yes, God is going to raise them up. He's going to use them to bring judgment upon the southern kingdom of Judah. But no, God did not approve of the Babylonians' sin and injustice. Look at verse 4, the first part. Behold, his soul, he's speaking about the Babylonians, is puffed up. It is not upright within him. The first time that God had asked Habakkuk to behold or to look was in chapter 1. And there he would describe how he would use the Babylonians to bring judgment upon Judah. This time when God asks Habakkuk to behold, it's to make sure that he is clear that just because God intends to use them doesn't mean that he's overlooking their sin or their pride or their injustice. God sees through the puff and nonsense of the soul that's held captive by pride that is not upright. And we know we, we can see this same kind of pride in our world today. Right? Oh, why, why do you believe in those fairy tales? What, what's this? What's this all about? Why, why would you hang on to that? Why, why would you hold on to that? Put, put that stuff away. I don't believe in God. The fool saith in his heart there is no God. And man, think about the bravado and the puff that you would have to put before yourself to live as if you were your own God. Wow. I had a player say to me one time, we were sitting at a cafe studying the Bible together. And he said, coach, he said, I have a, a lot of friends that, 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 that aren't living right. And, and all the time, they're asking me to go do stuff with them that, that I know I shouldn't be participating in and getting involved with. And, and they don't go to church, and they don't know the Lord. 
They don't love Jesus. I feel this pressure on me to go because they just keep hounding me to come with them, to go with them, to do these things. I don't know what to do. I'm not quite sure how to respond. And I remember thinking to my mind, and, and one of my mentors was sitting there with me studying the Bible, and uh, he looked at the, the player, and I remember thinking, wow, what a difficult situation. I'll never forget when my mentor looked at the player. He said, who would you rather be found with? Who would you rather go with? Those who could give you satisfaction for a short period of time while you live on this earth that have no power over the ultimate problems of our lives like sin and death or the very one who's already conquered it and can hold your future and has your eternal security in his hands. Who would you rather go with? He said, I know who I would choose. I'm going with the one that works miracles. I'm going with that one. And I remember the player sitting back and crossing his arms and looking and saying, you know, coach, you're right. That's true. And there was like a relief off of this. And you know, the, the world uh, that lives, that's not yet believing without God, my goodness, we have to put so much bravado and, and puff and nonsense about our own strength, our own efforts out in front of everybody because what are we really hoping in? If we don't believe in God, what are we really hoping in? Ourselves. Our own strength. Our own efforts. And here we have the God of the universe. The God of all creation who revealed himself perfectly to us in his son Jesus, who's given us his word, who's proven himself throughout history to be one who responds, who listens, who hears, who cares, who comes to us while we're dead in our trespasses and sins and shows us immeasurable grace and mercy and tells us, you don't have to rely on yourself. I got you. I got you. Through my son Jesus, you can be whole. You can be right. We don't have to live without God. The Babylonians are a people who they're determined to live as if their own strength was their God. That's how they were going to live. I got to do it. We got to take more land. We got to take more territory. We got to go take these people captive. We got to do more, more, more. Grow the military. Grow the empire. Build it out. Expand it. Do, 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 do. There's another group of people in the text. This is a group that desires to live rightly. They desire to walk humbly. They're identified in the second part of verse 4. In probably what is the most infamous verse in the book of Habakkuk. What does it say? But the righteous shall live by his faith. By his faith. So powerful was this verse in the Old Testament that the New Testament authors 
took it and used it. If the word plagiarism existed back then, it was used all throughout the New Testament over and over and over again. It informed the minds of the writers of the New Testament. It stuck with them directly and indirectly. As tragedy overwhelmed the prophet and was causing tensions between what he knew to be true about God and the circumstances he found himself and his people in in everyday life, so too would tragedy overwhelm the leaders of the early church as the Roman Empire would turn against Christianity, inflicting great pain, turmoil, and persecution upon the earliest followers of Jesus. And so Paul, on two instances, and the writer of Hebrews, in another instance, quotes directly from this verse. Romans chapter 1, verses 16 to 17. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Understand, you see, there was a vision in Habakkuk. There's a message in Paul. What does it say in verse 17? For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Direct quote from Habakkuk 2 verse 4. Galatians chapter 3 verse 11. Paul again, now it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law. Remember we said the law doesn't work. It can't fix it. Because the righteous one will live by his faith. Direct quote again from Paul. But perhaps the passage that most clearly gleans and tugs on the thread of Habakkuk's prophecy is found in the book of Hebrews. And you're going to want to turn there. This is great. Hebrews chapter 10. If you have your your Bibles, turn. If you're using a device, just flip over. To Hebrews chapter 10. This is really amazing. You're going to see the tones of Habakkuk's prophecy all over this portion of Hebrews. Now again, we don't know the author of Hebrews. Uh, It's not known. Many believe it was Paul. Some give uh, its attribution to others. But someone who would be making an argument that Paul is the author might actually um, use Habakkuk 2.4's usage in Uh, Romans and Galatians and point to Hebrews uh, see some continuity there so Hebrews chapter 10 verses 32 to 38 now check this out and see if you hear the thread of Habakkuk's prophecy throughout this portion verses 32 to 38 but remember the former days when you endured a harsh conflict of suffering after you were enlightened At times you were publicly exposed to abuse and afflictions, and at other times you came to share with others who were treated in that way. For in fact, you shared the sufferings of those in prison, and you accepted the confiscation of your belongings with joy, because you knew that you certainly had a better and lasting possession. So do not throw away your confidence, because it has great reward. For you need endurance in order to do God's will and so received what is promised for just a little longer and he who is coming will arrive and not delay. Sound familiar? Verse 3 of chapter 2 of Habakkuk. 
but my righteous one will live by faith. Verse 4 of chapter 2 of Habakkuk. And if he shrinks back, I take no pleasure in him. But we are not among those who shrink back and thus perish. We are among those who have faith and preserve their souls. We can hear the rings of Habakkuk's prophecy coming through the words of the author here of Hebrews. Enduring harsh conflict and suffering as one who's been enlightening. Publicly exposed to abuse and torment. Sharing in sufferings with others. Accepting the confiscation of possessions. Remember, Judah would lose everything as they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians. Could they accept it with joy? Holding on to the far better and eternally lasting possession in Christ for us, church. Having confidence not in the flesh, but rather in God, knowing of His great reward. And that reward motivates within us the endurance that's needed to do God's will and persevere, knowing that it will be only for a little while longer, for He who is promised is surely coming and will not delay. Amen? Jesus is coming again. He will return. The last line of Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, that pertained to the vision given by God to the prophet, it will surely come, it will not delay, now is echoed by the writer of Hebrews pertaining to the second coming of Christ, the new vision given by God for the church. Living by faith, we do not shrink back. Rather, we take hold of the promises of God through Jesus and live by faith. But the question remains, what might this kind of life look like as it is lived out daily? How might we come to characterize and understand the life of a person who's living by faith? How might we be able to look at somebody today in the world who perhaps is part of another faith community that loves the Lord and knows Him, but we don't personally know? How might we be able to look and say, wow, that person really lives by faith? What does that kind of life look like? Well, would you believe the Bible gives us the answer to that question? It's Paul, again. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 6, for in Christ Jesus is neither circumcision nor uncircumcision. It carries, neither carries any weight. The only thing that matters is what? Faith working itself out through love. One translation actually says faith expressing itself through love. It would seem then that the most solid and direct application of faith for the one desiring to live rightly in this world is to express the veracity of our faith by our love. If you believe in God and are put in a right relationship with Him through Jesus, then the proper way to express that faith is in love. Indeed, John, the disciple of Jesus, says himself that the world will know we are followers of Jesus by the way we love. It will look different. And placing this phrase back into the context of Habakkuk, you can look back in chapter 1 and find what was happening to the righteous. 
The second line of verse 4 in chapter 1. For the wicked surround the righteous. So justice goes forth perverted. It felt like the world was against them. I hear that attitude sometimes in our culture, in our world today. It just feels like the world is against us. How do we live? We live by faith, expressing itself in love. We endure by our faith. One Bible scholar said it this way, referring to Hebrews or Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 4. He said, quote, The righteous, the sincerely righteous, those who long and work for justice and righteousness, receive the strength to go on. Not because the world itself is just, or because it rewards those who work for justice, but because these persons possess a larger vision of the way things should be. They possess the vision, as did Habakkuk, of God's just reign. There will always be a discrepancy between such a vision and the real world. But the truly righteous place greater trust in the truth and in the reliability of that vision than in our brute facts of existence. End quote. Friends, Habakkuk's prophecy reminds us that our hope is not found in our circumstances. Good, bad, right, wrong. The bedrock of our faith, church, today is rooted and grounded in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen. And this is perfect because if we are both righteous and if we desire to live rightly in this world, it's solely because of Jesus. For the Bible reveals that apart from Jesus, there is no one righteous. Those who are in Christ are new creations, Created in Christ Jesus and as a part of our new nature, His righteousness is attributed to us as He declares us right and puts us in a right relationship before God. If we are righteous, thanks be to God through Jesus. If we desire to live rightly in this world, acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly with God, then thanks be to God through Jesus who gives us His Spirit. His Spirit that produces fruit in our lives, that motivates the endurance and compels the love within us to do the acts of righteousness. Because it's not always easy to be kind and loving to people who are unkind and unloving. Amen? That is hard. I have children in my home that say amen to that very, very loudly. But you know, friends, outside of our homes, in our communities, in our schools, at our jobs, in our world, we're surrounded with people that need Jesus. We're surrounded with people who have not yet believed. And we shouldn't expect that without Christ, they're going to treat us in a loving and kind way. But God calls us to love anyway. As the Lord continues to refine his description of the Babylonians, he's going to give even more characteristics. 
You might look at verse 5 again, and let me see if I can go up to the slide that contrasts here. I had them out of order. Verse 5 says, Moreover, wine's a traitor, an arrogant man who's never at rest. His greed is as wide as shale. Like death, he never has enough. He gathers for himself all nations and collects as his own all people's. Of course, we know wine was a very common drink of the wealthy in that time, yet it was ultimately a traitor because it could make one tired, satisfied, and unaware of their own rising troubles. Daniel 5 actually gives us a description of how wine was consumed heavily and regularly by the enslavers of Israel. But even in their pride and the satisfaction and fullness of their own bellies, there is no rest, is there? For the arrogant and prideful. The one who has not yet believed, who's relying on their own strength and effort, may seem to be at rest at times. But their soul is not at rest. It's not upright. The desire to attain more, to take, to consume, the attribute of greed, these are the things that define the Babylonians. They never had enough. So they gathered for themselves, they gathered people, they gathered land, they gathered wealth, whatever you could imagine. They fell into the same trap as many throughout history, taking what was not theirs to build an empire unto themselves. And friends, may we not be guilty of the same attitudes and habits today. There is no nation in this world that is free from the sting and effects of sin. And sin manifests itself in all behaviors and attitudes that have been attributed to the Babylonians in chapters 1 and 2 of our study. But just as we see in verses 4 and 5, tucked away in this vivid description of the Babylonians remains a pocket of people who endeavor to live rightly and remain faithful. And I would ask us, friends, for the church today, we can and should consider ourselves as those who have been called to live by faith. And we should believe that as we do this, that God is going to work through our lives to continue to do what he said he would, build his church So I want to encourage you today, uh, friends, we're going to go from this place. We're going to have uh, ABFs today. We're going to have a time of fellowship, a picnic time, and then many of us are going to go back home. And perhaps today it'd be a good time to take stock of the relationships of the people in our lives that need the Lord, that do not yet know Him, And to begin to do the work of building relationships and loving and being kind and generous and joyful and thankful and grateful. Even when that kind of behavior may not be reciprocated. And shining the light of the gospel in the places that the Lord has planted us. As our team comes, let's close with a word of prayer. Father, living by faith is not easy today. Perhaps we'd look through history and argue that there's never been a time where it's been easy, and perhaps that's the point. Lord, we need your strength, and we need you to work through us. We need you to shine 
through us. We need you to motivate within us the energy, the joy, the hope, the thankfulness, and the love that is needed to reach a world that is not believing, that lives according to its own strength, and that's in darkness. Father, you've called us, you have appointed us, you have commissioned us, and you are empowering us through the indwelling presence of your Holy Spirit to be brave, to be courageous, to be purposeful, to be bold, to be loving, and to be clear that the greatest hope, the greatest joy, the greatest source of life that could ever be received, could ever be given, could ever be experienced, will only come by knowing your Son, Jesus. And so we pray, Lord, that even today, you would place in our minds and our hearts those people in our lives that need to hear this message, that need to know that in the midst of hopelessness, there is hope. In the midst of darkness, there is light. In the midst of turmoil, there is rest. There is peace in the midst of hostility. There is love in the face of hate. And all of those things come because of your son, Jesus. We give you the glory today for how you work. Thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.